Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're starting a new sermon series today called What Lies Beneath. And uh, I'll be honest, a lot of it has to do with um, the reality of where we are as a nation. Um, we have more, 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 so, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll just throw it out there. We have more social inadequacies um, and, and social dilemmas and social problems with people. And, and, and sadly, as, as much as I would like to say um, it's different in the church, I don't know that it is. Uh, and, and so when I talk about just this idea of social issues, it's not just social issues. There are also issues of emotional issues. You were, we're at a time and a place where uh, depression, anxiety, worry, fear, as well as suicide is at an all-time high. I don't know if you realize that uh, they're, 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 the, the increase in suicide and depression has gone through the roof. It was already bad enough as it is, but since the beginning of COVID, since shutdowns and different things like that with loss of jobs, with, I would say, political unrest and things that have gone on, the emotional chaos um, has, has gone through the roof. Uh, the, the, and this, this is, like I said, in believers, in non-believers, in the world, in the church, it is, it is running rampant, it is running heavy. And so really what we want to do over the next uh, couple weeks, even into a, over a month-long time frame, we want to identify what it means to be emotionally and spiritually healthy, all right? So you're going to see this emotionally healthy spirituality. As a matter of fact, I'm going to recommend a book. You could check it out. There's a guy named Pete Scazzaro wrote it a while ago called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He's a pastor. He had been a pastor for over 20 years when he almost lost his marriage and a number of other things. He had emotional issues that came up. Uh, and it's a, it's a great book. It's a great book we're going to go through. But I want to encourage you as we dig into this, this is not for you to point and look at other people. Matter of fact, no sermon is ever for you to point and look at other people. It's really for us to look at Scripture as a magnifying glass or looking through Scripture as a magnifying glass or even a microscope to look inwardly at us. Every time we open the word, I'm not preaching at individuals. I preach just as much to you guys as I'm preaching to myself, all right? And so we want to look at what lies beneath all this. And so we're going to jump in, Matthew, or sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I want to start off with this. On April, or the, the 10th of April, 1912, the largest ship in the world that would carry or could carry up to 3,900 passengers, sorry, 3,500 passengers, and it was built for speed and comfort. When it left port, it was carrying 892 crew and 1,300 passengers. The first class, listen to this, the first class accommodations were out of this world. The first class staterooms with private promenade cost, get this, in 1912, $4,350. Like I wouldn't drop $4,350 on a promenade ship now. That was in 1912, 108 years ago, right? $4,350. That would be the equivalent of dropping $115,000 in today's economy on a ship. On the 14th of April, the ship received six warnings of sea ice, and yet it still remained traveling over 22 knots, which, by the way, for those of us in the Navy, 22 knots on open seas is hauling butt. That's like doing 95 in a 75. 
right? These guys were quick in 1912. Unable to turn quick enough after spotting danger, the ship glanced an iceberg that tore open six of her 16 compartments. And we all know that that ship, known as RMS Titanic, sank. Bad planning, poor lifeboat management. Many of the people weren't able to get to safety. And on the 15th of April in the early morning, over 1,000 passengers and crew who were still on board died. Over half of that ship went down. And I want you to think about this way. Our lives are oftentimes like icebergs. In other words, what we portray or what we show to other people is in reality only 10% of deep down what's going on in the rest of our life. Right? Like, I mean, if you, if you know if you're in this situation, because here's how it goes. Sunday morning, all hell breaks loose in the family. You're about to rip your husband's throat out. Your, your husband's about to walk out the door. The kids are at each other's necks. You're at, the, at, at your kid's necks. You're, you want, everything's going crazy. You're in the car. All hell's breaking loose. You walk in the doors and everybody's like, hi, how's it going? Right? I mean, that's usually how it goes. Let's, let's, let's be realistic. Let's be honest. A lot of times we portray only 10% of what really is going on in our lives. And what I want to challenge us with is that our lives are just like an iceberg. We reveal only so much to others, but deep down underneath the surface are the emotions that can cause destruction. Listen, destruction to the relationships with the people that are in the path of us. You get that picture that we are like an iceberg and maybe, maybe just maybe if you would look, I mean, we all are, are an iceberg in some way, shape or form, but maybe you're the iceberg that everybody else is trying to be on the lookout for. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like the iceberg that vomits everything on people when, you're, when everything goes wrong. And listen to me, I'm all for good. We want good accountability and we want to be able to have people to talk to and people to vent to. But you know those individuals, those types of people who just kind of just seem to be the ones that you're like, okay, I got to steer clear, get wide, you know, wide right turn, swing way out to make sure you're not hitting the corner. And so this is, again, not looking deep down into trying to cast anybody. This is a series that I believe we all need, that we have to identify what lies beneath the surface and why do we respond or why do we act the way we act towards others. It could be people in our family. Why do we lash out with anger or vengeance with Maybe it's fear. Maybe we go into states of depression and anxiety and worry and things like that. And listen, lest you think that you're the only one that this sermon is geared towards, we have many people in the Bible who struggled with emotions. Paul dealt with anger to the point of getting into a quarrel with other brothers in ministry and basically told them, see you later. Don't ever want to see you again right? I mean, on top of Paul, you got Peter who denied knowing someone because of insecurity. As a matter of fact, all of the disciples denied Jesus at one point in time, especially when Jesus was going to the cross. Fear, insecurity. David was so insecure, unstable, and he suffered from depression. But I want you to think about why. He had power issues, 
David, a man after God's own heart, had a power issue to the point where he lusts after a woman and in the midst of lusting after a woman gets her pregnant and decides I'm going to kill one of my key generals. If that's not emotional baggage and emotional problems, I don't know what is. And we could go all throughout Scripture. We see over and over and over and over again how emotions, emotions can be a great thing. But at the same time, same time, emotions can be a struggle. They can be a hurdle. They can be a problem. They can be something that creates more difficulty and more problems in a relationship than we want to. So I want to ask you this question. Do you find yourself dealing with anger? Bitterness? Jealousy? Are you critical of others? Do you struggle with depression? Anxiety, worry, temptation? Do you have thoughts of suicide? Do you lack comfort? Do you lack contentment? Do you lack joy? All of those things in some way, shape, or form, I hope would touch in a way that you would say, man, yeah, these are things that I know deep down inside I need Jesus to take a hold of. I need Jesus to get down into the deep, dark recesses of what's going on in my life. And so when I say that we want to use Scripture as this microscope to look deep down inside, what we really want to do is use Scripture as the microscope to get to where God says, listen, I want to expose what you're trying to keep in the closet. I want to bring out the very things that you're trying to hold on to so desperately that you are guarding and protecting from other people that you're saying, I hope they never have to see this. Or maybe how I deal with people. See, longing for a better relationship with Jesus is always good, but I want you to ask, I want to ask you again this question. Do you feel like you're not experiencing the joy that was promised, that Jesus promised us? Because I believe wholeheartedly that when we begin to look deep down at what lies beneath, the reason we don't necessarily experience all of those things is we've tried to keep things hidden. We are surface level friendly with Christians. We're surface level friendly with other people. But deep down inside, we hold on to our emotions. We hold on to what's going on inside. And we hope and pray that nobody ever finds out about it. But the problem is, we all do. So 1 Samuel chapter 15, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to jump through a couple of things, but I want to give you this idea of the story of what's going on. This is where the Lord rejects Saul as king. Now Saul had been set up as king. He'd been anointed as king. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul was a man of great physical strength, but he also was a man of humble beginning. And Saul steps up and rides in to become this first king of the nation of Israel, but Saul's got a problem. Saul's got emotional problems. As a matter of fact, as you read through scripture and you read all of 1 Samuel leading into 2 Samuel, you'll see that Saul's got massive issues. Saul has anger issues. Saul has jealousy issues. Saul has envy issues. Saul's critical of David, but Saul doesn't want to look deep down at the inward recesses of his heart. And so Saul's like, I'm going to kill David. In the meantime, Saul's not getting the big picture of how God wants to work in Saul's life. And so God basically takes his hand off Saul and turns him over to his own wickedness and his own evilness. So listen to what happens in, Saul, or in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
It says in verse 1, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. So listen to what he says to Saul. Saul, this is what I want you to do. Go and attack the Amalekites. Totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Now, let me pause there. Everybody's like, are you kidding me? They're killing everything. Now, this is one of those questions at some point we're probably going to ask God and go, why? But I want you to understand what plays out here. The Amalekites had gone in and had done this to the Israelite people. And God had promised the Israelite people to move them out of Egypt into the promised land. They're on their way. They're heading that direction. But as they're coming in, they're attacked. The Amalekites lay waste to the Israelite people. And so God is now going to give the consequences for their actions of what they've done. Okay? So Saul was given very specific things. What did it say he was supposed to do? He was supposed to go in and he was to destroy everything that belongs to them and he was not to spare them. All right? And it says that they used to kill everything, sheep, camels, and donkeys. You may be like, oh, sheep, camels, and donkeys, that's not that big a deal. I mean, we're just talking animals. But I want you to see the story of what takes place in Saul because I want you to get this big picture, and here's the big idea. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. I hope you get that picture because there's something taking place in the lives of believers around the world where we say it's okay to act the way I want to act and not in obedience to what God has called us to do. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. In other words, it's impossible for me to grow in my relationship with Jesus and yet hold my emotions inside and never let Jesus change those emotions. To never let Jesus change what's going on. To try and hide it. To try and keep it hidden from everything else. And so, listen, as we dig into this whole idea of Saul, we're gonna look at three things today, all right? And in the midst of that, I want you to think about this, that the prophet Samuel brings Saul this message from God to go and to be obedient and to do this thing. And Saul does go. He musters the armies of Israel and he goes out on the mission, but he doesn't do it all. Only some of it. And listen to me, this is the key thing for every believer to know today. That disobedience in any way, shape, or form is disobedience in everything. You can say, I followed everything to the law except I didn't do this. That's disobedience. Any part that God calls us to do out of obedience that we choose not to do is disobedience. And so listen, as we kind of dig into this, I want to jump in. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Okay, so Pete Scazzaro, he's the pastor of this church, New Life Church out in North, uh, New York. 
He says that in this book, there are 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. I'm just going to read two of these. Two of those that we're going to try and unpack just a little bit today, but not really. We're going to dig into the word. Number one, one of these things that, that signify or a symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, using God to run from God. What I mean by that is this. We demonstrate Christian behavior so others think well of me. We use scripture to justify the sinful parts of my family relationships, our cultural values, or national policies. Instead of evaluating them under God's lordship, we hide behind God talk. So hear me out. I know we're running into elections and things like that coming up, but I want you to understand that we, in an emotionally spiritual state, demonstrate Christian behavior, but yet we use scripture to justify sinful parts of my family relationships, my cultural values, or national policies instead of evaluating everything under God's lordship. That's what we talk about when we talk about using God to run from God. I can talk big talk, I can deflect the spotlight from my inner cracks, from really exposing who I am, and I can become defensive about my failures. Please hear me out on this when we're trying to evaluate. If I become defensive in my failures, then I'm not allowing God to work. All of us have failed. I mean, Scripture is very clear. All of us have failed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone's a sinner. Guess what that means? You're a failure, I'm a failure. Wouldn't you like to be a failure too? Let's go with Dr. Pepper's song. We're all failures. Guess what's gonna happen? At some point in time, you're gonna fail your spouse. You're gonna fail your kids. You're gonna fail a boss. You're gonna fail a coworker. You're gonna say things about an individual that you should have never said, but it just kind of came out, which signifies you're a what? Failure. Then I'm a failure that all of those things play hand in hand. But oftentimes what we want to do is then we justify our failures usually by this. Well, he deserves it. He said this about me, so does that ever justify anything? I mean, I got to deal with this with our kids all the time. Well, she did. And he did. Well, that, that doesn't justify anything. I mean, heck, that's the political discourse right now, honestly. Well, such and such did this, so we're going to do that. Oh, okay, that makes it right. No. Constitution's what's right. Period. I mean, we have that argument all at once. You stick to the Constitution or you're not an American. I just point that out with politics. We can do that all day. But listen to me. So there's this idea of using God to run from God, but then there's number two. Two of those symptoms. Number two, doing for God instead of being with God. That's what Saul dealt with here. Saul was like, okay, God told me to go in and do this. So he does for God, but he doesn't do it all the way for God. So doing with God instead of being with God. So it might be played out in this in your life. I work hard. Here's me. I'm just going to point this out. I work hard. I work a lot for God. So it must mean I'm super spiritual. The problem is if we focus on the work and we ne neglect the being with God, we have an emotional problem. Why? Because we get our value and our thought process from everything we do for God when the reality is God just says, I want you to have a relationship with me. You see the emotional baggage you begin to carry when everything's about doing? At some point in time, your doing's gonna stop. And now you're gonna question and go, do I have value? 
Do I have purpose? Do I have meaning? Anything like that. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you three things as we jump into 1 Samuel 15 that I think we need to look at in order to be emotionally healthy spiritually. Number one is this, that God desires for you to run to him daily, not to ignore him. God desires for you to run to him daily, not ignore him. Listen to what happens. We, we read verse three, but I wanna jump to verse nine. Listen, listen to what they have, verse seven actually. It says, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. And he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. So he followed the first part of what God told him to do, right? But then listen to what it says in verse nine. But Saul... And the army, they spared Agag, in other words, the king, and, listen, the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. What did Saul just do? Saul just chose disobedience over obedience. Saul chose this desire to do what he thought was right rather than running to Jesus or running to God daily. He ignored the overall, the big picture of what God had set up for him. Emotional health and contemplative spirituality must go together. They always go hand in hand. So when we talk about this, when I talk about being emotionally healthy, I also have to be contemplative spiritually. I have to get into my relationship with Jesus day in and day out. Jeremiah 17 verse nine says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Guess what that tells me? I'm in trouble. My heart is deceptive above all things and beyond cure. Now, wait a second. If it's beyond cure, why are you asking us to look at our deep down, the emotions, the inner workings of what's going on, Brian? Listen to what he says. Matter of fact, the end of verse nine, who can understand it? <laughs> you know, as men, we always sit back and we look at our wives and we're like, well, if, we, if you understand a, a woman, let me know, because I'd like to figure it out. And the wives look at their, their friends and they're like, if you understand my husband, and figure my, your man out, come and let me in on a secret because I'd like to know, right? But listen to what's happening. The whole book of Jeremiah kind of wraps up in this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We're all sitting back going, well, I don't, I don't understand your heart and you don't understand my heart and I can't understand her heart and he can't understand his heart and who can understand it? But listen to verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart, and I examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, and listen, according to what their deeds deserve. Listen, listen to the idea of what takes place here. God desires to run for you to run to him daily, and the only one that can search out your heart, the only one who can change your heart, the only one who's going to change your emotions, the only one who's going to change your attitude towards those those individuals and others, is God. When you open up the recess that you're trying to keep hidden underneath the surface, just like an iceberg. That God has to do the inner workings of cleansing you, of changing you, of creating you. Listen, when you are, put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, guess what he says? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new, what? Creation. In the beginning, God created us in his image. We were perfect, 
There was this unity. There was an emotional stability. There were all these things. But as a result of sin, everything falls. And listen to me. Here's the big picture because here's the problem. We don't like to expose the very things that God sees from the very get-go. We think if we keep it hidden from everybody else that we don't ever have to deal with it. When the truth of the matter is, yes, we have to deal with it. God desires for you to run to him daily, not to ignore him. God uses our emotion to draw us closer to him and to help us learn to trust and follow him. But listen to what happens with Saul. Saul lets everything get into chaos, and here's the reason why. Saul had good intentions, but bad emotions. Good intentions, bad emotions. And I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of throw this out there. A lot of times, believers have good intentions and we got bad emotions. We may vote on a specific person because of emotions, not intentions. We may vote on a specific person based upon certain things. We may lash out at a person because of intentions or because of emotions, not intentions. Paul's intentions were what? He kept those things, it says, as we're gonna look at here in a little bit, for a sacrifice, a sacrifice to the Lord. The problem was it was a disobedient sacrifice because the first and foremost sacrifice in everybody's life should be the fact that we follow what God calls us to do, period. Matter of fact, we're gonna unpack that here in just a little bit more. But I want us to understand that emotional health and spiritual health are inseparable. I can't continue to allow anger, criticalness, vengeance, frustration, bitterness, jealousy to reside in my heart and continue to grow in my relationship with Jesus. It won't happen. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want any of that in there. Jesus will not allow me to have an unforgiving spirit and continue to grow in my relationship with him. It's not gonna happen. All throughout scripture, Jesus lays that out. If I have jealousy, he wants to expose it. If I have a critical attitude, he wants to expose it. If I have anger issues, he wants to expose it. And trust me, it's not hard. The funny thing is, is that oftentimes we think everybody else doesn't see it. See, in order to do this, one of the most important things we can do in our leadership, in our families, is to get quiet. and let God speak. And so I just wanna ask that question. When we talk about God desiring for us to run to him daily, do you get quiet? Because quietness oftentimes is awkward. I have to look inwardly to my motives and allow God to work on me because when I run to God, and I don't ignore him. God wants to work on me. And hear me out. No matter how hard you try, when you are running to God day in and day out, you can try and keep the closet shut. You can try and keep the curtains pulled. You know, I kind of think about, I think it's the movie 27 Dresses where the girl has all the 27 dresses and she goes to open her closet and they all come pouring out. Sorry, guys. I do watch some romantic movies with my wife. Chick flicks. Not romantic. I guess that's not really romantic, but anyways. <laughs> All right? We want to be that. So before you say, that's just the way I am, listen to me. Before you say, that's just the way I am, people are going to have to get over it. 
No, that's not the way this works. Jesus didn't come to say, okay, that's just the way you are. I'm going to leave you alone. Jesus came to say, no, I'm going to put in check what shouldn't be a priority. I'm going to put in check your emotions, your anger, your vengeance, your criticalness, your bitterness, your jealousy, whatever it is. And so we have to learn to deal with what lies beneath. Number two, it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. I want you to see this, that God grieves over our disobedience and, listen, and our desire for godly activity that misses out on him. God desires or God grieves over our disobedience and desire for godly activity that misses out on God. Look at verse 11 in this, and it says this very simply. Verse 10, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. This is after Samuel and, the, and the, or, I mean, sorry, uh, Saul and the, the guys were unwilling to destroy completely everything uh, that was there. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Listen to what God says. I am grieved. Does God have emotions? You better believe it. He has emotions of anger, of compassion, of grace and mercy, of vengeance. He has emotions of grieving and sorrow. What grieves God? Listen, listen to what he says. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and it says, listen to this, he cried out to the Lord all night. Listen, this is one of the things I believe as a man of God is, is important to keep in mind. That the man of God, Samuel, the prophet, cried out all night to the Lord for Saul, the leader, because Saul had grieved the Lord. And I have no doubt that Samuel was praying for Saul consistently and constantly, asking God, if there's any way, if there's any way to turn, whatever it is, whatever it takes, that you just relent, that you hold back. And it says in verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up and he met with Saul. Uh, and he went to meet with Saul, but he was told that Saul had gone to Carmel. In verse 13, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. Now, is that true? No. No, he didn't carry out the Lord's instructions. He carried out part of the Lord's instructions. Now, anybody in the military would know that if you only do part of what your commanding officer tells you, you're going to be held responsible for whatever you didn't do. Or maybe you're a parent and you'd say, I told my kid to do this, but they only did part of it. And your kid's like, what? I did it all. I don't know what you're talking about. And every parent's like, I'm going to strangle you, bro. Any part of that disobedience leads to a problem. And so Saul is like emotionally clueless. Look at what I did. In the meantime, he completely misses out on it because he doesn't listen to what God has called. So God grieves over our disobedience and desire for godly activity. So it says in verse 13, the Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Verse 14, but Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and what is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Now, if you've ever been called out by an individual, you know immediately they call you out and are like, uh-oh, right? And now here comes the justification. Here comes what Saul says. The soldiers, it's kind of like Adam. That woman you gave me, she made me sin. Right? 
We always love to cast blame. We want to cast doubt. We want to look at this idea of this godly activity. I'm going to throw the blame on somebody else. And so Saul, as the leader, he throws the soldiers under the bus. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, and they spared the best. Now he starts to justify. So at first he's casting people under the bus, but now he's going to try and justify the actions that he allowed to take place. The justification that he brings is this. Well, we're going to make a sacrifice. So we kept the best. You've always called us to keep the best, to give the best, to do everything to the best of our ability. Listen to what he says. God grieves over our disobedience and our desire for godly activity that misses out on him. Saul wants to offer a sacrifice when the sacrifice really isn't about giving a sacrifice to God, but it's for Saul to boast and build himself up. Look at what I did. We went in and we conquered. But we were disobedient. Here's the sad thing about this story with Saul. Saul had a great future ahead of him if he was just obedient to God. But as a result, his influence is basically taken away. Here's what I want you to understand when we talk about emotional health. You know, we can look around the world and we can know when somebody is physically disabled or even at times mentally disabled, right? Those are, those are usually fairly evident in a person and how they look or a person and how they act. But I want you to think about this. Physical and mental development is visibly apparent in life, visibly apparent in life, but emotional development oftentimes isn't so obvious until we get to know you, until you get to know me, until you lash out because emotions begin to rise at the top. You see what ends up happening? And oftentimes, here's what's funny, oftentimes the emotional problems or the emotional development, we may think we're keeping hidden, but everybody else sees them. Everybody else knows. Oh man, this person, they're always jealous of people who are in leadership positions. Or this person's always angry at these individuals. Or this person always lashes out at, at certain individuals. And all of this, listen to me, I want you to understand, all of this is built upon the truth and the, and, and the reality of what we experience as kids. But it's never an excuse to hold on to those things. It's never an excuse to stop and say, I'm not going to be obedient to what God has called me to do. Over time, our emotional or lack of emotional development is evident to everybody. So what is it that lies beneath? What is it that causes my anger? What is it that causes jealousy? What is it that causes criticalness? What is it that takes away my joy? What is it that makes me look at other people's as competition rather, being, rather than being united together as a body of believers, regardless of where I'm at in a stage or setting or place or in a leadership role? See, obedience in part is disobedience in full. We can't do some things and not be obedient in all things. And I want to challenge you with that in everything in your life, that I am obedient in all things because obedience is what is successful. See, when God tells us to do something, we're to do it, period. 
Not a part of it, not some of it, not a little bit, not to go, "Mm, well, (sighs) you know, that woman you gave me as wife, I'm gonna pass the blame on her. And then I'm gonna accept great responsibility because my intentions were really good. I was gonna make a great sacrifice to the Lord. Now that's not the way the Lord wants to work at all. God grieves over our disobedience and desire for godly activity. And the third thing, and I want to wrap up with this, the main thing that God desires is obedience. Flip to verses 20 through 25. I want to read these and we're going to wrap up. Listen to what he says. But I did obey the Lord. Listen to how Saul, Saul is clueless, right? He's, he's like not one to acknowledge his emotional instability, his disobedience. I, I did obey the Lord. How could you tell me I didn't obey the Lord? I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. And I can, now, you got to read this sometimes with feelings. Because if I'm Saul and I just got attacked by Samuel, what's the first thing you're going to do? I'm going to get defensive. So you can hear these words played out. I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me and I completely destroyed the Amalekites and I brought back Agag their king. The soldiers, they're the ones who took the sheep and cattle for plunder, the best of which, listen, was devoted to God. You gotta put this into a fact, into an emotion to think of what's going on in Saul's life. Saul has just been confronted by the prophet Samuel, God's man who is overall in charge of him. Matter of fact, Samuel later will call out David for the very things that David was guilty of because of his emotional insecurity. And Samuel calls out David and Samuel calls out Saul. The difference is Samuel, or I mean Saul, didn't repent and David repented. Psalm 51 so Saul lashes out and gets real defensive. And I want you to understand, listen to what he says as he unpacks this in verse 22. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the, the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, you have, he has rejected you as king. Listen to me and here's, here's the important thing that I believe for us to remember, that God wants to take the Saul out of every one of us. God wants to make us that new creation, but we have to allow him to get deep down into the deepest recesses, into the dark and hidden areas of our lives to expose what he needs to correct, what he needs to bring the light into, what he wants to cleanse you of and forgive you of, even things, listen to me, there are things that so many people want to hold on When the Bible is very clear, as far as from the east is from the west is what I have removed your sin. And yet we hold on to him like, I got to tuck this away and keep it hidden so that, so that I, that God knows. Why do we try and keep things hidden when God knows? God desires obedience. See, when our disobedience of God or when the disobedience of God in our lives plays out, this is not a picture of losing our salvation, but it's rather of God not blessing what we do. That's what happens here. He basically tells Saul, listen, I'm not taking away this idea of your salvation, but you're done as king. And I believe this speaks volumes for us in our life. When you desire to be a person of influence, but yet you walk in disobedience, 
at some point in time, God will remove your influence from you. When you desire to be obedient, he who's faithful in the small things will be given more. When you desire to be obedient and you walk with God in everything, including dealing with my emotions, dealing with my insecurity, dealing with my doubts, exposing the dark recesses that I'm able to keep hidden underneath the surface from everybody else, but deep down God knows. When I desire obedience over that, when I desire to let God work, God expands your influence. God expands your ability to impact other people. And so hear me out, church, as we kind of dig in to this idea of what lies beneath. I just want to ask you this question because we have to ask ourselves this. Are we emotionally healthy spiritually? I'll be honest as I even went through this. We live in a city. And listen, I know it's going on. It's running rampant everywhere. But we live in a city that when we talk about emotional health is an absolute wreck. We have kids growing up and going to schools and with other kids and maybe even there there are, are, are friends and things that they have that are emotional wrecks. And what I want you to understand is this. The heart is deceitful above all things who can understand. We can do our best. We can give our best. We can work our best. But the first and foremost thing is that we have to strive to be obedient to God. And as we're obedient to God, listen to me, with our emotions, we begin to look at people the way God looks at people. And we begin to say, hey, you know what? I can't do this supernatural work. I can't heal you, but I know who can. I can point you to the direction. I can point you to the founder of the world. I can point you to the person who loves you so much that he gave you his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. We live in a world and in a time that honestly emotions are running rampant, they're running chaotically, and everybody seems to feel like they gotta get them out. And what I would say is this. Yeah, we do need to get them out. We need to deal with them, with the Lord first. And then if there are emotions that I have allowed to rise to the occasion that have offended others, or maybe I've lashed out at other people, now I need to let the Lord deal with me, and now I need to go to those people, and I need to ask for forgiveness. Why? You're putting me in an uncomfortable situation, Pastor. I have to accept responsibility for my actions. Yeah, we all do. But listen, when you do it with the grace and love of Jesus, and if that person is also a follower of Jesus, then the first thing you ought to do is extend grace and forgiveness. Because Jesus died on the cross for you as much as he died for me, as much as he died for the next person. And so we have to deal with our emotions of what's going on. See, the great news is that we have the opportunity and the ability to turn and repent and turn back. Saul didn't, David did. I'll leave you with this verse. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2 says this. I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. See, the desire for all of us 
is that we would be challenged and evaluate our lives based upon the truth of Scripture. That when we challenge and evaluate our lives based upon the truth of Scripture, we use that as that microscope that gets deep down inside and we allow Jesus to change us. Hear me out, and here's what I want to say with this. I believe, church, that our best days are ahead. And I'm going to stand by that and say that forever. And you know the reason why I'm going to say that? is because whether Jesus comes back or Jesus leaves us here, our best days are still ahead. That whether Jesus chooses to return on Tuesday morning before we all have to vote, Jesus is going to be in control. That whether Jesus doesn't come back on Tuesday morning and that Jesus waits for a while, that Jesus is still in control and Jesus is going to work in my emotions, regardless of what goes on in the election, that I can still be a person who stands on the truth of the gospel, who lives the gospel out and speaks the truth to others. We've got to learn to deal with our emotions. Listen to me, first and foremost with Jesus, then to go with others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a tough, honestly, a tough thing to look at. It's oftentimes where it's easier to look at others and go, well, that's their flaw, that's their problem. But God, I pray that we would turn Scripture inwardly, that we would look into the dark recesses of our heart, and we would repent of the sins and those things that we've allowed to rise to the top. But Lord, I also pray this, that as we deal with that and we repent of it, we allow you to work on us to expose anything that needs to be exposed, to open up any hurts or wounds that need to be opened up to be healed properly, and to be able to grow and become everything that you've created us to be. God, would you expand our influence in the community through the relationships we have as we grow and focus on becoming emotionally healthy spiritually? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.